Welcome to the Morecast in this special two-part episode on the melodrama. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Been reading about these guys for two years, folks. You know the drill. Go to bfwdenver.com, pick yourself up a bottle, get yourself some swag, get that 2017 Cabernet, um, or you can get a curbside pickup, or you can buy some swag, or you can get some of the... uh, uh, book yourself a table, or you find out the events that they got going. They got virtual wine tastings, which are, as I still very popular. You can do all of that. Uh, or you can go to Blanchard Family Wines, and if you are feeling safe and with Delta variant, kind of maybe we've seen a crest. We don't know yet, but we'll see. Um, maybe you can go down to the dairy block, sit outside safely, and enjoy yourself some wine with some friends. Uh, they've got you know, obviously the 2017 Cabernet, but they also got Pinot, they got uh, Malbec, they got Red Zinfandel, which is very good as well. Uh, but they also got whites, uh, they got blends, they got rosés, they got things that you really, really, like, kind of need. They also got, you know, West Western Slope Winery Partnerships. You can go in there and sample the best of Colorado. What could be better than that than support, supporting local Colorado businesses? Once again, you can go to bfwdenver.com, pick yourself up a bottle, or you can uh, book yourself a table, or pick, us, pick yourself up some swag. Um, they are, once again, between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them, Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast, I sent you. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Okay, we're going to, because Mello has sufficiently upset me with his attempts at revisionist history and his acolytes in uh, various aspects of media have begun the spinathon for him, let me uh, kind of do the best I can to set the table. This is a nuanced discussion. If you are not here for nuance, I'm not interested in hearing from you, but I would like feedback at jmorton78 on Twitter. And that's, once again, jmorton78 on Twitter. Uh, And you can comment on what I'm saying here. Nothing will be completely controversial, but this will be a retelling of what happened between 2008 and 2011 when Mello eventually left, the events that led up to this. I wrote about this in Mile High Sports in the last article. One of the last, I think maybe the last sports-related article I wrote on ever, I think was uh, all the way back in 2018. Um, and it was that article, and it really went over this whole thing. But I'm going to kind of give you a retelling of that and fill in some blanks here. And we're going to start with the Nuggets playoff series against the Lakers. Uh, in 2008. Uh, that was a good Lakers team. Midway through that year, they had traded for Pau Gasol, and uh, it kind of turned them into uh, not exactly like the Shaq and Kobe Lakers and not nearly as good. But for the era, they were very, very good uh, amongst the teams that were out there. Kobe hadn't yet begun his decline, which would begin basically midway through 2010. And you saw it in... Uh, you saw it in um, the 2010 finals when Kobe, uh, uh, basically they were rescued in, in Game 7 by Pau Gasol against the, the, the uh, uh, Boston Celtics. I mean, that was, it was very clear that 
they the, the the game plan on Kobe was to just let him shoot, and that was uh, it was working. But anyway, but it really began then. But the, before then, I mean, you're still this is Kobe pre decline. In 2008, that's when they went to the finals and lost to the Celtics. And what is, was becoming eminently clear is that this Nuggets team that was assembled with Allen Iverson, Carmelo Anthony, Marcus Camby, uh, Anthony Carter, uh, Eduardo Nahara, Kenyon Martin, um, Lennis Claza, uh, it just it was a team that really wasn't. It was it had an extremely high payroll, won 50 games, and snuck into the eighth eight slot that year. Snuck. Um, the, uh, the, the ninth seeded, uh, Golden State Warriors had 48 wins and the Nuggets really basically clinched their eighth, eighth and the eighth and final playoff spot of the, of the, uh, playoffs that year, um, by, I think it was in the second to last game or third to last game, beat the Golden State Warriors and got the tiebreaker and also got the, uh, the, uh, lead, solidified over them. It basically was the moment that clinched it for them, but it was really down to the wire. And with all that talent and extremely high payroll due to Iverson's fairly huge salary, uh, the Nuggets ended up eighth seed and they went to the uh, first round and they never had a chance. Um, They were thoroughly, thoroughly dominated and swept. There was no bones about it. The Nuggets were not as good. Uh, During game three, uh, famously, uh, Carmelo Anthony screamed at George Carl, why don't you get up and do something? Don't just sit there. Do something. While Carl was on the bench, it wasn't a good time. Famously, uh, my friend Andy Feinstein, right around this time, began firegeorgecarl.com. Um, at the same time, pickaxe and roll was going on, and it was a it was a volatile time. It was a volatile time, and there was clear fractures in the George Carl Carmelo Anthony relationship, probably from the beginning. But it was really exposed in two thousand eight, and Melo making so public his displeasure was an element of things that were to come. Now, Carmelo Anthony benefited greatly from the 2008 Olympics, um, being around Kobe. And in, here's the thing. I mean, 2004 wasn't a great time for Carmelo Anthony. Um, he went to the Olympics in Athens in 2004 and was basically blamed for everything by Larry Brown, which makes his revisionist history about being drafted by the Detroit Pistons all that more funny considering his relationship with Larry Brown was awful and I don't know necessarily if uh, that would have worked to the way that Carmelo Anthony is trying to spin it right now so going into that offseason decisions were made and the decisions were to cut money um, Stan Kroenke probably rightly determined that he didn't want to pay over into the luxury tax for a team that was going to be swept in the first round. Um, and obviously from a fan and player and a, just a general perspective, there's almost, there's almost a, there's almost a like, yeah, I get it kind of thing that was going on at the time, you know? Um, so famously the Nuggets traded, um, 
Marcus Camby to the Los Angeles Clippers. And I wrote about this years and years and years and years ago. And I I may have wrote about it at the time. I don't remember. But I was saying that basically they traded Carbell, uh, Marcus Camby for a pile of hair. Um, it was just, it was, there was nothing. Uh, Camby, um, they got a, I believe, a $10 million trade exception in return. Um, and keep in mind, this is before the cap explosion. I believe the cap was around $53 million or something like that. Uh, it was a lot lower than it is now, folks. It's basically doubled since then. Maybe it was around $60 million. So, that was the get-out-of-the-tax move. Um, Carmelo Anthony never, ever forgot, and it was very clear, he never forgot that. He never forgot the cost-saving move that the Nuggets had to get out of the tax. This is, and keep in mind, folks, this is before the lockout and this is before the repeater tax. This was uh, a very a less than onerous tax situation for people who wanted to go into it. It wasn't like it is now where if you are in the tax for an extended amount of time, you get hit with a repeater. Um, there is, there wasn't those constraints. Um, this was, this was basically you just pay the tax if you go into it. And uh, it was an, <laughs> it was a move seen by by some players within the Nuggets organization as going cheap. And the Nuggets had to make the best of it. And the person that that, that saw this move and responded the the worst to it was Carmelo Anthony. Additionally, uh, Eddie Nahara was let go, and the and the Nuggets were transitioning to something else. Due to the absolutely brilliant, and I do mean brilliant machinations, of um, Mark Workentine. And it, this was Mark Workentine, folks. Wasn't anyone else in that, in that front office. This was a deal that was made 90% his responsibility. Pulls off a trade of a very declining very suddenly declining Allen Iverson to the Detroit Pistons for Chauncey Billups and Antonio McDice. Now, <clears throat> without going into the trade, which I've talked about in other podcasts, so we'll, we'll, we'll just leave it at that, without going into detail. Obviously, Carmelo Anthony liked playing with Allen Iverson, but he... I think he saw this trade as something that could boost the Nuggets. You know, that like the the Charles uh, Billups was coming off, I think, five straight, six straight conference finals with the Detroit Pistons. Uh, the Pistons by 2008 were a declining team, um, majorly, and Joe Dumars was making a bid, a bid for cap space. Um, I believe Iverson had somewhere in the middle, in the neighborhood of over 20 million dollars in ca- in in salary that was expiring and that's basically what uh Dumars was trading for because Iverson was off of the Pistons by midway through the following season. 3 games into the season, Workington pulls off this trade and the Nuggets became a different team and they became became due to largely due to Chauncey Billups became a much better team. 
and they did it while saving money. And you'll notice that this is a theme um, from the rest of this podcast. I am not going to come down on Carmelo Anthony in a way that people think I'm going to. I will come down on him in a different way. But I'm not going to come down on Carmelo Anthony for certain things that he was perceiving. Because there was some stuff going on during this era that was counterintuitive to actually having a winning team. So the Nuggets go through the 2008-2009 season and... Uh, they went 54 games, and it was a team that had a lot of momentum. Uh, it was a team that seemed to be gelling. There was a moment when the Nuggets were playing the uh, Indiana Pacers when Carmelo Anthony refused to come out of a game and uh, for Lennis Glaza. Now, that was a rub for him. Don't replace me with him. I feel I'm doing well. And he refused to come out, and he was suspended for one game. Uh, because of it, from by the Nuggets. Um, and uh, during the next game, when he was reporting in, when he was actually not reporting in, but coming out, Carmelo Anthony ran to the to the bench. It was a funny moment. But for all intents and purposes, things seemed to be going well. And then when they got to the playoffs, they hit a, a streak that was really, really good. This Denver Nuggets team, despite their issues, internally were became lovingly known to us in Denver as the Thuggets. And they really began a run that was right up there with their 85 Western Conference Finals run and their 78 uh, season conference run that uh, people will remember for a long, long time. And on the other side of the break, I'll talk about that playoff run and how it affected Carmelo Anthony's perception of things and how it kind of shaped the balance of what was going to happen the next two years. All right, now I'd like to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. The NFL's back in DraftKings Sportsbook, an official Betting partner of the NFL is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for Week 1. Bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the end of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly. That's a mega deal, folks. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any Week 1 game. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any Week 1 game. That's promo code MHS to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for an limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522-4700. The 2009 playoffs were magical. They were, and they ended up frustrating. The Nuggets really kicked the crap out of the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, they were in a fortunate matchup with them, but uh, Kenyon Martin really showed his value in that series. Uh, he reduced David West to basically a quivering pile of jelly. I've never seen a player dominate another player like Kenyon Martin dominated David West. It was great. Um, and those of us who were around at the time remember how 
just thoroughly, thoroughly, uh, West was intimidated. Well, Dante Jones ended up harassing the crap out of Chris Paul. The Nuggets end up winning one of these games with 58 points. Um, it was a it was a thorough butt kicking. Um, series two against the Mavericks ended up being the Carmelo Anthony's probably one of his best moments in Denver as he gets the game winning shot in game three uh, after they try unsuccessfully tried to foul, intentionally foul Melo. Melo hits the three, drains it, and the Nuggets end up going on to go take a 3-0 lead and end up winning the series 5-1. But more than that, that was the Nene series. That was uh, the, probably the best uh, Nene has ever played uh, as an NBA player. That's, uh, that was his series. And um, it was punctuated uh, in Game 5 by a great alley-oop from J.R. Smith to uh, Kenny Martin. Crowd went nuts. Um, it was it was a great time. I was listening to these games on the radio, watching them on TV. Um, I would get nervous, and I'd have to get in a car and drive around because you know that's what I do. Nuggets fan, you know it's just it was it was a fun time. It was a fun time to be a Nuggets fan. Then came the Western Conference Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers. There's a lot to say about this series because it was. Closer and farther apart than people remember it being. The Nuggets should have won game one. Um, I'm of the of the games that were thrown away by inbounds passes, and game one was one, and game three was the other. This is the game the Nuggets had. This is the game the Nuggets should have stolen. <clears throat> and really, truly, the series and the momentum of the entire series w- was completely altered by that uh, errant inbounds pass from Anthony Carter. Um, it was it was something that I think if George Carl looked back on it, he probably would have adjusted. I believe Lamar Odom was guarding Anthony Carter, and, and, and it just didn't work. But however, the Nuggets bounced back great again in, in Game 2, ended up pulling out Game 2, uh, uh, that was the famous uh, Chauncey bouncing the ball off of Kobe's back. Um, it was just it was it was a it was a fun game and it was a split going back to Denver. Game three was another inbounds pass, but it, but there was a moment that kind of signified symbolized these Denver Nuggets. Right at the end of the third quarter, the Nuggets are up, and for whatever reason, and only known to J.R. Smith. JR commits a flagrant foul against Sasha Vujicic, and it completely changed the momentum of the game. The Nuggets were up; they were going to be up fairly, all you know, by you know, not huge, but they were going to be substantially up going into the into the fourth quarter, and that completely altered the trajectory of the fourth quarter. The Lakers end up getting a getting on a run, and. Leading up to that errant inbounds pass from Kenyon Martin um, in Game Three, it uh, it just it, it was it was it was bad. But I will I will be forever convinced that it was J.R. Smith's flagrant foul on whatever reason on Sasha Vujicic <clears throat> that changed the trajectory of that game and probably the series. If the Nuggets win Game Three. <clears throat> Honestly, folks, 
Nuggets win game three, they win that series. Um, that's the, all they had to do was hold home, home court. And the Lakers really, really wanted game three. And the Nuggets ended up serving it to him on the platter. And obviously Trevor Ariza makes a good play. And the Nuggets go down 2-1. Nuggets blow out the Lakers in Game 4. Go back to L.A. Game 5. Um, there was, from some indications I understand, there was some partying in L.A. As my friend Matt Moore likes to say, L.A. nightlife is undefeated. And the Nuggets run out of steam in the fourth quarter of Game 5 and end up losing. And Game 6, they did, he didn't even bother to put up the fight, and they lost. But it was a series that largely, and this is 100% true, hinged on two games. Two games that if different things happened. They, I mean, kind of like Kevin Durant's toe being on the line uh, against Milwaukee Bucks. Little things like that. And that's how razor thin both of those games were. And the Nuggets uh, let them slip away, and that was a sign of a team that wasn't ready yet. So the Nuggets go into the 2009 offseason and uh, are on the ascent for most people. But maybe not necessarily Carmelo Anthony. People seem to seem to forget this. He was interviewed during the finals, and Carmelo Anthony talked about needing to get a big man to uh, help the Nuggets with Andrew Bynum. And that has largely gone ignored through the annals of history. But Carmelo Anthony was very desirous of the Nuggets being able to compete with what they were seen as the weakness um, heading into these uh, matchups with the Lakers. And to show you how he was kind of right about the way the Lakers regarded them, there is zero doubt that the Lakers picked up um, Ron Artest slash Metal World Peace um, exclusively to help them with Carmelo Anthony. That's really what it was. And that's what the Lakers thought. So going into that offseason, the Nuggets decide to let Dante Jones go, which for some reason has, in, in, in based on his interview and all the smoke, really upset him, which is interesting because they, in, in, they end up getting Aaron Aflalo, who was at a major upgrade <laughs> at shooting guard, a guy they could play more than... I think George Carr was playing Dante Jones 15 minutes a game, 15, 16 minutes a game. He could play Aaron Aflalo all game, and it showed the next year. But it, the Nuggets never addressed the thing that made him the craziest was the fact that they didn't get any big man to, to compete with Andrew Bynum, feeling that the Bynum-Gasol combination was what did the Nuggets in in Game 5, which is true. Uh, it really wasn't Kobe. It was it was Bynum and Gasol kind of eating up the inside that really doomed the Nuggets in Game 5 against the Lakers. 
This was never addressed in the offseason. And from what I can discern, it was largely because the Nuggets didn't want to go into the luxury tax in order to make it happen. There are things that kind of bind your hands uh, as a as an organization because there's rules for going into the tax that are different from uh, being out of it, uh, being over the cap too. It's just there's different there's different things that that you just can't you you do or not a even back then, you just couldn't do certain things. Well, it's more stringent now. There's, there's definitely there's defined rules that you cannot um, do certain transactions based on you being over the tax. The Nuggets weren't over the tax, but they didn't want to go into the tax. And there were things that the Nuggets, from what I understand, were attempting to do, but were not encouraged by the owner of the team. And when we get to part two, I will tell you about how the relationship between Carmelo Anthony and the Denver Nuggets began to break down as the team made moves to make themselves better, but they didn't make themselves better in the way Carmelo Anthony wanted them to. And we'll talk about that uh, in a couple days. I'll see you then.